Hey everyone, I am excited to announce that Esther, Something Hidden, Something Revealed, is now available on Amazon as a side study, Volume H, in the Gospel Feast series. The book of Esther is a mysterious one. As written, it is a book with many contradictions. The name Esther means something hidden. It does contain several historical conundrums and a handful of mysteries. It is the only book in the Bible that never mentions God at all. Why? Many Jews today say that it is just fiction, because they can't find any of the characters mentioned within, historically. And yet, they celebrate the book with a major festival, annually. It is also one of the books that is required reading in the weeks before Passover, every year. Not by God, but by Esther herself. Why do this if you insist the book is just fiction? It is one of the only books that Joseph Smith made no corrections to, although he considered it to be historical. How is any of this possible? Esther reads as an eyewitness account, but then struggles with the simple, logical issues and frequently contradicts itself in some very strange ways. How come? Considering that Esther became the most powerful queen of the world's largest empire, none of this makes any sense. Or does it? Despite the wonderful story, we are left with the puzzling questions. Who was King Ahasuerus? Who was Mordecai? Who was Haman? And actually, who was Esther? The answers may just surprise you. The book is not fiction. And in fact, all of the puzzling contradictions were put in place for a very devious reason, and not by Esther. Join us on this astounding historical reconstruction and be amazed at what Esther really tried to do, and how, had she been able to accomplish what she had tried, your life would be very different right now. You think you know the book of Esther? Are you sure? Let's feast on the Word of God together and see what a woman of God can do when she really puts her mind to it. It also might make an incredible Mother's Day gift for the ladies in your life. Happy Mother's Day. This is the Gospel Feast series for those who want a little meat after their milk. It's time to feast on the Word. This is a special episode of the Gospel Feast series. We've decided that in honor of Eastern thinking, on every seventh episode, we will answer viewer questions. So we've been asked some questions, and I'm going to pass those on to our author and historian, Reed, on your behalf. So let's jump into it, shall we? Let's do, although I have to say I'm a little nervous about this. Our first question is from Ali of Bountiful. And this one's pretty simple. We, I thought we'd start off with an easy one. To oh, warm good, your, thank you. Warm your gospel Eastern thinking brain up. <clears throat> Read. Yes. How many books are there currently in the Gospel Feast series? Oh, tell her she's wonderful. That's a question I can answer. There are about 18. The first 10 are what I would consider the official books in the series, so to speak. And they're, of course, numbered 1 to 10. And then there are, at the moment, four supplemental feasts. And just to sort of go with the feast motif, I was calling those side dishes. Oh, that is funny, but continue. Anyway, I thought it was clever. Maybe it's dumb. But you will see that listed in the books, that these are the feasts and these are the side dishes. 
But those additional ones were books that were just too wonderful to not have available, but they didn't really flow cleanly through the process where I'm trying to take people. Okay, and that brings up our next question. This process you mentioned, how many books do you intend to write? Well, I'm actually working on Exodus right now, so that'll be number 11. And then I'm also working on Job as a side dish, and that's going to be volume E. So the side dishes are alphabetic, and your the main course, so to speak, is numeric. It is. Should I talk a little bit about what those 10 are? Please. I think that's part of her question. The first volume is called Daniel and the Last Days, and it needed to be the first book, in my opinion, because of Isaac Newton. And as we proceed through this series, and certainly on these podcasts, I think those people that get it and see it will realize Isaac was really right. If Daniel is right, then the rest of the gospel is also right. It's a great place to start. And there's some wonderful surprises which we are looking at and discovering now. I really can't wait actually until we get past some of these stories which we will probably be able to do soon and get into some of the meat of Daniel that nobody really reads and nobody really gets. It's astounding what's really in there. We're going to explore that I hope very soon. The second volume is Jonah and the Great Plan of Happiness. And that book really deals with the plan of salvation. And so once you have a grounding that the gospel is accurate and that the gospel was given outside of time, it's then useful to know more about what the gospel is. And the gospel is in Jonah. Like I like to say, Jonah is a Mormon book. That is a book that you really will not get your mind around unless you have some understanding of what was taught by Joseph Smith, the plan of salvation, who you are, where you've come from, where you're going, and what you're doing here. And he laid that out brilliantly. And it's in Jonah. People think, well, Joseph made it up. Well, no, it's in Jonah. It backs up the plan of salvation, which is also known as the great plan of happiness. And I figured that made sense to do second as a grounding. The third volume is Ruth and the Saviors on Mount Zion. And it's really a love story about ultimately the Lord's love for you and how as he vicariously made it possible for you to be more than you could ever be without him, you as a saint or as a Christian have the ability to do that for others. And just as we take up our cross like the Lord took up his cross and follow him, we need to do that for other people. And that's what that is about. Perhaps the most mystical book in the beginning of these is Zechariah and the Teachers of Righteousness. That's a book that people either really love or they hate. Oh, tell me about why. It's been an interesting mix. There have been people who have told me that it's the first real gospel feast they've ever had in their lives, that it takes them to places that are in the book that are incredible, that are Eastern, that are mystical, that are amazing, that answers questions that they had no way of really getting their minds around, and yet they're in there. For example, it it talks about the signs of the last days and how many are left, and it deals with numbers and patterns. And we may want to do a Eastern thinking portion at some point where we talk about numbers and Jewish mysticism and numbers and why they're important. So for example, why does God work in numbers like 3, 12, 70, and 144,000? We do see those numbers repeat quite often in the scriptures. Zechariah gives us some help as to why that's important. He talks about the branch in there and why the branch is important and how the branch is connected to Nazareth and the one that would rise from Nazareth. He talks about the whore of Shinar and what would happen when we lived under her pillar, which deals with our lives today. 
It talks about the Battle of Armageddon, and it talks about the Battle of Gog and Magog, and suggests that there are actually two end-time battles. Oh, that's fascinating. And then Jesus makes an interesting statement that is puzzling to a lot of people. He says that the son of Zechariah was the greatest of all the prophets. And we know who that son was. We do. Although, how does he connect to this ancient Zechariah? Ah. Interesting, huh? He talks about the city of the New Jerusalem and the city of Jehovah Shammah. And he talks about Zion City and Old Jerusalem. And he talks about Moses and Elijah in ways that I think are going to be very important very soon. So for those people that really want a feast, Zechariah has been one of those feasts. Although if you don't have the first three books under your belt, it may be confusing. I've always recommended people read them in order, but you can do whatever you want. Volume 5, Ezekiel and the Millennial Reign of Christ, has received the most struggling emails. A lot of people who've read it didn't really enjoy it all that much, which was hard on my soul because Ezekiel is the hardest book in the Old Testament, and I think it's extremely important to understand. Well, and from your writings, I've seen that you have really endeavored to make these things easier for us in a new modern and, well, Western mindset to understand. So if it's still that difficult, or have you done anything to make it easier? Well, thank you for asking. I actually did, based on several requests from readers, do a shorter version, which I've called Volume 5A, The Essential Ezekiel. And I took out all of the stuff that as a historian I love, but that the readers were not so much enjoying. And so the essential parts that I really don't want you to miss are in the essential Ezekiel. And I've heard people say that they really enjoyed that one over. And what what was so tough, and the reason I thought this was so important, I had several people tell me that they were thoroughly enjoying the series. And then they got to Ezekiel and they felt like it was a mountain they couldn't climb. And they never got to volume six. Oh, that's unfortunate. So guess what six is? Well, please tell. Six is Revelation and the Mark of the Beast. Ah, and that's actually some of the questions that we were going to ask you about. Most people assume that that's what they need to understand the most, and so they have the most questions about. And so volume six, you finally delve into what a lot of people jump to at the end instead of going through the proper process. I have been told by readers that this is the first writing on the book of Revelation that makes the book accessible. I don't know if that's true, but I was deeply flattered to have people tell me that they really think this is a valuable book. And so to have them trip on the mountain of Ezekiel and never get to Revelation hurt my heart. So we have a truncated and a slightly easier version, but still the full book of Ezekiel is still available. It is. It's still available. And if you don't want to read Ezekiel, skip it. Don't miss Revelation. I'm convinced you can't really understand Genesis without Ezekiel, which is why I put it before Genesis. However, if you don't like it, go to the truncated version. And if you don't like that, just skip them and go to Revelation. It's okay. All right. Well, moving on. The next four books in the series are on Genesis. Okay. It's a big book. A lot happened. It is an amazing book, and and it's clearer with Ezekiel. But anyway, I've already said that. The first volume, volume seven, is Genesis and the Sons of the Morning. And it begins with the war in heaven, goes through Adam and Eve. It deals with Lucifer and his plans and what he set up for us and tried to set up for us. The Lord and we are still fighting now. And it takes us all the way up into Noah and the announcement of the flood. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's the first book on Genesis. Yes, volume seven. It's got many surprises. We actually have a lot more information than people know. We even have in Adam's own words what the forbidden fruit was. Oh, that's wonderful. That's fascinating. 
The second book on Genesis, volume 8, is called Genesis and the Everlasting Covenant. And it starts with the flood, and it goes all the way through the birth of Isaac. Ah, okay. It gives us clues as to who Melchizedek was, the great mysterious Melchizedek. It gives us some clues, too, as to why many of the evil forces on the world are actually based on Zoroaster, who is the fallen version of Melchizedek. And it gives us all kinds of insights into Abraham, why he was so important, and why there was a new covenant given through him by, believe it or not, well, you know what? That's a feast we're going to have to get to. I imagine there's going to be plenty of questions, but in the meantime, let's carry on. Yes. In the ninth volume, Genesis and the House Divided, we actually play with an interesting statement that the Lord makes. He says that, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. We are going to discover that all of the problems we are dealing with in humanity today stem from Jacob and Esau. So a brotherly conflict that has lasted the ages. It has, and it will end in Armageddon. Oh, wow. It's extremely important. A lot of people don't really understand that what's going on really is a fight between two houses, and it started with Jacob and Esau. The 10th volume is also on Genesis, and it is Genesis and the Messiah Ben-Joseph, because most people don't realize that the Jews actually teach that there was a possibility of two messiahs if necessary. Oh, that's interesting. I've never heard that before. The Jews know it. The first messiah was going to be the Messiah ben Judah, and he was going to be the savior and the redeemer, the most important messiah. But if for any reason the people were unable to make a covenant with this messiah, God would send a lesser or second Messiah at the end, who would be a son of Joseph who was sold into Egypt, called the Messiah ben Joseph, who would then make up the difference for the people. Oh, that's interesting. And that's in the 10th book. It is. It's all about Joseph of Egypt. And then it also talks about this lesser Messiah, his descendant, who would come at the end and save people by the power of the first Messiah. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. In a sense, he becomes a real savior on Mount Zion. The 11th volume I'm working on now, it's on Exodus, and it has a lot of wonderful things. Most people don't know the full story of Moses, and we actually know quite a bit more about Moses than what the Bible gives from tradition. We know a lot more about Joshua. Joshua was the heir of Ephraim and was the heir to Joseph of Egypt, and Moses kept him right at his side. And the question is why? Some really interesting stuff. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. In regards to the supplemental books, the first one is Ezra and the End of Days. Ezra actually was the one that compiled the Bible from the many, many records that were available to the Bible we have today, the Old Testament, I mean. He was the one that was charged with compiling it at the end near the Babylonian reign. He might have known Daniel. He was also a prophet. He wrote several books, including the book of Malachi. He is Malachi. And his apocryphal book, not unlike Daniel's, was in the King James Bible. And they realized that Ezra, his second book, wasn't very flattering to the future of Christianity. Or at least the Christianity at that moment. Yes. And they got nervous. And it is the only book that was in the King James Bible that they pulled out. Oh, wow. And you'll see why when you read it. It has a lot of wonderful truths and revelations in it that very powerful Christian organizations today would just assume you don't know. Very interesting stuff. It's a wonderful book. It's worth a read. Volume B is Gad the Seer and the Corruption of the Covenant. 
Well, that's wonderful because a lot of people have have questioned, wait a minute, the Lord himself, when he was preaching in Jerusalem, mentioned Gad. People say, wait a minute, if, if the Lord mentioned him, he must be important. Why isn't he in the Bible? Well, the Jews had the book of Gad. They still do. It just didn't get into Ezra's compilation of the Old Testament. It was just a supplemental book that they still had. So we have it. And when you read it, it's amazing. It gives us clues about King David that we didn't have not being his descendants as Jews. Okay, so we've been left out of the loop, so to speak, just because of our heritage. Yes, it's worth reading. It's not very long. It explains why David picked the exact temple site that he did. It talks about some of the reasons that he worked with Hiram of Tyre. It talks about his plans for what God intended to do with the Gentile nations that were non-Israel. It really is a wonderful book. It also shows how God had warned the Israelites that the covenant he made with them was going to get corrupted if they weren't careful. Well, and that's even interesting. It was almost fulfilled as that happened, because if the book of Gad, that he himself quotes from, wasn't even included in Latter-day Scriptures. That's it shows true. you that the covenant was getting corrupted. That's true. And it also shows the humility of the Jewish people. When you meet the wonderful Jewish sons of God that live amongst us, they are torn between knowing that they're special and knowing that their ancestors blew a lot of things. And there's a humility there. They realize that their ancestors blew it. And so what they're dealing with now is the suffering that came from dropping the covenant. They will be restored. They are still the chosen, and God is not done with them by any means. In fact, we know that every single nation that has ever turned against Israel has been wiped off the map, from Egypt to the Nazis. Everyone has fallen, and yet they stand. They're still an important people. This book shows how they realized that they had given up some things anciently, and that that is part of the struggle today. Volume C is the Sons of Israel and the Message of the Plates of Brass. Mm why this is so wonderful. We now know that every patriarch, starting with Adam, was commanded by God to keep his testimony and his history and to hand it down to the children through time. Well, you know, and that sounds like that sounds like the commandments of God, that he is unchanging. If he asked one to do something, he would ask them all. That's correct. Noah took all of these with him on the ark. Makes sense. And he handed them to Melchizedek, who was Shem, and they fell into the hands of Abraham eventually, and they moved down through Aaron into Levi, and they were put on plates of brass. Well, that makes perfect sense. I know a lot of people have, in a sense, mocked this idea of why would you write on metal? And anyone that has worked with any kind of resource metal or wood or paper knows brass, other than perhaps gold, is in a sense everlasting. It doesn't rot, it doesn't corrupt, it remains. And so it's a perfect material to preserve something as timeless as the Word of God. That was the idea. Now, these plates of brass were kept in Jerusalem Makes under sense. guard, and anyone was allowed to read them, or if you wanted to make copies, you could, but the fact that they were the master set in brass made them safe, and you could come and take notes or write your own copies or whatever, but the, the master set would not change. Now, here's the astounding thing. This set of brass plates disappeared when Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem and has never been found. Well, uh, we do have some knowledge in that regard, but let's continue with this, this end of the story I did not know. So what's wonderful is someone had copied the testimonies at least of Israel's 12 sons, including Joseph of Egypt, and those were preserved. Now, the Jews have had them all the time. 
The problem was is that they testify of Jesus Christ and of John the Baptist. Oh, and that's a problem if people in power at the time didn't want to believe in either of those men. Well, that's true. And when the majority of the Jewish people, because most people don't realize that the first Christians were Jewish. So what happened is that the Christian church split the culture. So we have Jewish roots, very profound ones. Our Lord was Jewish, and the apostles were Jewish, and the first saints were Jewish. They knew these records. And as the Christians got their hands on them, they said, well, wait a minute, look in our records. We have proof here. Look, it, it goes back even to before the time of Babylon. These Jews who didn't want to convert to Christianity, and they have the right to worship however they want, they looked at these records and they said, we think you forged those. And so the Christians, having no proof, just sort of set them down. Oh, they didn't have the master copy to reference to because it had disappeared. That's true. Now here's why the cat's out of the bag. Parts of these testimonies were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls that predate Christianity. Oh, wow. Okay, so... They were not forged by the Christians. That's what this means. Because, they, because the Dead Sea Scrolls were proven to be even older. Correct. Correct. So anyhow, we do have some of these pages that would have been on the brass plates. Not all of them. We have fragments of many of them. But we do have these sons of Israel, and they are incredible. They will change the way you view Israel and these boys forever. This is one of my favorite parts that's been coming out in our Gospel Feast. And remind us again, which book was this? This is volume C, The Testimony of the Sons of Israel and the Message of the Plates of Brass. And this is one of the supplementals that you have available. It is. I actually think every man and any woman who has to live with a man ought to read this book. It really shows what men are up against as they're trying to be the men that God wants them to eventually be. Well, that's wonderful. Okay. What's left? There's one more in the series that's available now, and it's been one of my favorites, and it's getting some wonderful reviews. It's volume D, and it's on Aseneth, and it's called Aseneth, Our Lady Deseret. I've never heard this. Who, who are you talking about? She is the wife of Joseph of Egypt. Oh, okay. No, it makes sense. He had, obviously, uh, a double inheritance. This is the mother of Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay, no, it makes sense. She would be an important person. She was amazing. She is a woman that ought to be known like Ruth and Esther and Mary and even our mother in heaven are known. She was a great and incredible matriarch of Israel, and she's ours. When she converted from the Egyptian religion to the religion of her husband, Joseph of Egypt, she was given a new name at that time by the Lord. And that's a, that's a common pattern when somebody is brought, when somebody in humility comes to the Lord, he often honors them with a new name. And, and she was given one? She was, and it's been preserved for us. She was blessed by a bunch of bees that came. And I'll let you read the story. It's really beautiful. And at that experience, she was given the new name of Deseret. That's a word that we use here to mean the honeybee. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I'm going to let you guys chew on that because it goes quite deep, and you might find it really, really interesting. The next supplemental book that's planned that is still being worked on is Job, an autobiography. We actually have Job's autobiography of his own events. The book that we read in the Bible is actually what's left of a stage play that was put on in the Greek tradition. It's really a wonderful book, but it doesn't answer tons of questions, and there's all kinds of holes that don't make sense. And we go, what are you talking about? No, that, that suddenly opens up a world of possibilities. Everybody, I've heard people comment that 
the book of Job seems as if it's written completely different than other books have written. Long monologues and the, the choruses that would chime in to reinforce ideas. And that's how the book of Job is in our current King James form was written. Yes, it includes choruses. It includes, like you said, long soliloquies. It's really fun to read when you realize it's supposed to be seen on a stage and not necessarily studied as scripture. And when you read Job's own words, his brother Nahor wrote them down before he died. And you read his own words, it is a world of difference. And it was the story that the people going to the play would have known. Okay. We go see a movie about, say, World War II. We know the events. We understand them. So this would have been the same event for them. They know the background information already. Job was very famous. And we didn't know the background, so we're at a loss. Okay, so when, when that's available, obviously mention it in that podcast. Well, you know, we've been answering that first question took a bit of time. We're going to do this every seventh episode if you have questions. We can be contacted through the website, gospelfeastbooks.com. There's a contact link in the navigation bar at the top. We also have an email, gospelfeastbooks at gmail.com. Thank you again. We welcome your questions. We will continue with the study of Daniel on our next podcast. Until then, may the Lord Jesus Christ be with you.